Luke 13, starting at verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, go tell that fox. I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often have I longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left... Uh, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, how important are the people who have influenced your life for the sake of the gospel? Uh, it's great to give thanks to God for such people, isn't it? It's great to give thanks to God for that friend who told you about Jesus or that Christian leader or the uh, family member who uh, shared with you about Christ. But that's very different, isn't it, to, to actually trusting in that connection with that person, as if uh, having godly friends or having a godly family somehow means that you're okay with God. That's an issue for some people because there are some people who seem to imagine that because that they're Christians, because they're connected with someone who's a Christian or because they've got a family background uh, which is Christian. But what if the person you were connected to was Jesus himself? I mean, that would be an amazing spiritual connection, wouldn't it? Uh, what, how valuable would that connection be to you? In Luke chapter 13, which is our passage this morning, uh, we know that... Uh, Luke has been describing for us uh, Jesus' continuing and steady journey through Galilee towards uh, the place which is really at the very heart of uh, Jewish life in the first century, the, uh, the city of David, the city of Jerusalem. And so Jesus is travelling towards Jerusalem and we pick it up in verse 22 where he has been passing through various towns and villages. Now, uh, he wasn't just passing through. Jesus took the opportunities uh, to, to spend time teaching people, teaching people 
uh, about the kingdom of God. Now, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if your village, your town, was on the itinerary? If Jesus was passing through where you lived? Well, in one of these towns, there was someone who connected with Jesus and they had a question for him. Check out the question that they had for Jesus. They said, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? That's a good question, isn't it? That's a, that's a relevant question even in our own day because there are people, some people who wrongly teach that the gate to heaven is um, almost infinitely wide and that, uh, that most people are going there and it doesn't really matter whether you've got your faith in Christ or not. Uh, what does matter is that, uh, uh, whether or not you're actually sincere in whatever it is that you believe. And that's, a, uh, that's an issue. But it was a slightly different question in Jesus' day because there was actually a debate which was raging in Judaism uh, amongst the rabbis about this question about uh, uh, whether only a few people are going to be saved. And the background to it is the Old Testament. Uh, one of the, the big important future visions of the Old Testament was the vision of a great banquet that uh, would be held at the end of time. Um, for example, in uh, Isaiah chapter 25, Isaiah foretells a magnificent feast which was fit for royalty, uh, but yet it was prepared for all people. And not just for Israel, but for people of all nations. A, a banquet of the best meats, of the finest wines. A banquet where it's described in Isaiah 25 where death would be swallowed up forever and where all tears would be wiped away. Uh, that sounds a bit like Revelation 21, doesn't it? Sounds a bit like heaven. And uh, listen to what Isaiah says. He says, In that day they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. So it's talking about being saved and it's talking about all peoples, all nations. And that's the great hope. That's the great hope to which all of God's plans are heading towards. And, and it's our hope, isn't it? That's, that's our, our vision. That's, that's, that's what heaven uh, is like. Now, in Jesus' day, people certainly believed uh, in the book of Isaiah they believed that there was this promise of this great banquet at the end of time. But the question as to who would actually be seated at the banquet, well, the, the great promises of Isaiah had been significantly reduced in the minds of many people. And the rabbis argued about it. There was all sorts of different views that the rabbis had but they were united mostly in agreeing that uh, whoever was seated at this banquet, that the Gentiles were excluded. And in fact, that most of Israel would be included, 
except for the really bad sinners. And there was a dispute about what constituted a really bad sinner. You know, <clears throat> one rabbi said that anyone who actually spoke the word of the, the name of the Lord out aloud uh, would not be included. That's the kind of debate that was going on. And so, therefore, is it true, <clears throat> asked the questioner, are only a few people going to be saved? That's an interesting question given what Jesus had said in verses 18 to 21, which we looked at last week, about the, you know, remember about the kingdom of God being like a, um, a mustard seed which grows into a tree or like yeast that works its way through the dough. But in verse 24, Jesus is actually not interested in, in, uh, in this rabbinic debate. In fact, uh, Jesus is more interested in the person asking the question and the others who are listening. Uh, Jesus seizes every opportunity to take a question and use that question to challenge people to think through where they stand with the Lord, to think through their personal response to God. Jesus is interested in the person. And we see that in his response. Have a look at verse 24 where he responds to the person by simply saying, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to do so. Uh, so what he's saying there is never mind, never mind how many people are going to be saved, just make sure that you're one of them. Uh, make every effort. Actually, that's an interesting word, um, the original word that's translated there is the same word that we get the word agony from in English. And so, make every effort. Um, other versions say strive, really press on hard in order to make sure that you're on the inside. Now, Jesus is not saying, he's not saying that we get into the banquet, uh, into the banquet hall based on our efforts or our merit, our spiritual merit, he's far from it. What he is saying is to strive to make sure that you take up the opportunity whilst the door is still open. That's what he's saying. Now, have you ever, I'm sure you have, have you ever arrived at the front door of business just moments after they've closed for the day. And if so, what kind of business does that normally happen to you at? For me, hands up the bank. Oh, I'm not alone. This is terrific. For me, I, I, I forget that they, they close at four o'clock. And I turn up there and it's five past four and... They're on the inside and I'm on the outside and the man at the door is nodding his head at me. We're closed for business. Now, Jesus here um, envisages a house and the door to this house has been opened but now it is closed. Verse 25. Verse 25 once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, 
you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and we drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evil doers. Now, at this point, this is starting to get personal because who is the owner of the house? Well, by the reply of the person on the outside, we can see that the owner of the house is the person who has been teaching in their streets. Who would that be? Jesus. And they think, well, of of course you should open up. Of course you should let us in because we know each other. We know each other. You, You were in our village. We sat down and we ate a meal together and we drank together and we talked together and and you were there teaching on the streets and we were listening to you. You you know us. We have a connection with you. But having a connection with Jesus is not the same as knowing Jesus or more importantly, being known by Jesus. Hanging out with Jesus is not the same as trusting, loving and obeying Jesus. The most gut-wrenching, devastating words which any person could hear on the day of judgment are those three words in verse 27, away from me. Devastating when they come from the lips of the Lord Jesus. Now, the dramatic effect of those words is described in verses 28 through to 30. It's dramatic in two ways. Firstly, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You like that description, gnashing of teeth? I've always wondered, what does it actually mean So to gnash teeth? So I, I, I looked it up on the source of all knowledge, Wikipedia, and uh, it, uh, it means to kind of clench your jaw to grind your teeth as people do when their face is just really tense with, with anger or with, with deep disappointment. And in the scriptures, it's uh, nearly always connected in the same sentence with weeping, with tears. Tears, gnashing of the teeth because... On the other side of the door is the great end-time banquet. And they can see the guests inside. They can see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel and, and Joel and Amos. And to a Jew, this is, this is family. This is a family gathering. The patriarchs, the fathers of Israel, the the prophets of God, the great end-time family gathering of God's people. And yet to their shock comes the realisation that they are excluded. They thought that they belonged to the family, but now they discover that they actually do not belong. Luke chapter 3. Remember John the Baptist? He's 
preaching out there in the wilderness, baptizing people, and he's <clears throat> speaking to a, a crowd of Jews, and and he calls on them to, and I quote, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not even begin to say that Abraham is your father. To be a physical descendant of Abraham means nothing when that's all that it is. The true children of Abraham, the true beneficiaries of the promises that God made of a people, a land and a blessing, are those who actually have faith like Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. They trust God at his word and they shape their lives around the promises of God. Now, you might come from a Christian family. You might have many Christian friends. What a shock it would be on the day of judgment to find that your family and friends are inside, that your, your mum, your dad, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, your husband, your wife, that they are in heaven, but you are shut out that you are not included. Because although you went to church with them, although you were connected with them, that you never actually humbled yourself before God, confessed your sin and recognised your need for a saviour and trusted in Christ's death for you. That is a reality. It's a reality for many people. Now, for people who are listening to Jesus on that day, there is is more drama in verses 28 to 30 because not only do they find that they are excluded from the heavenly family feast, but they also find that included on the other side of the door are despised Gentiles, people from all nations people from every race, every tribe, every language, people from around the globe, from the north, the south, the east and the west, says Jesus. People who are the spiritual descendants of Abraham because they trusted in the promises of God in the gospel. Now that, of course, is is great news for, for many people. That's terrific news, but it is a great shock to self-righteous religious people in Jesus' day and in our day, who find that the place which they thought was theirs, based on their merit, is actually taken by a repentant, forgiven sinner. And the door is closed forever. Now, it seems also in this passage that Somebody wants to close a door for Jesus. Uh, have a look at verse 31, because in verse 31, we're told that there were some Pharisees, some Pharisees who came to Jesus, and they said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else, because Herod wants to kill you. Now, that's strange, isn't it? I mean, that's... Um, Why would the Pharisees warn him? Friendly Pharisees, maybe? 
Perhaps, perhaps. Or uh, maybe they wanted Jesus to speed up, to get closer to Jerusalem. Because in Galilee, the Pharisees had very little authority, but in Jerusalem, they had a whole truckload of authority. Maybe they wanted Jesus to be closer to Jerusalem so that they could exercise their authority. Uh, Or perhaps they are Herod's accomplices. Um, Maybe Herod has actually sent them with this warning, not because he necessarily wants to kill Jesus, but because he's had enough trouble with John the Baptist and having to execute him and the aftermath of that, and it would be easier for Herod if Jesus just just left his territory and went somewhere else. Well, Jesus gives them a message to send back to Herod. Verse 32. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day. Now, Jesus Jesus doesn't think very much of Herod. This is Herod Antipas, the Tetrarch, <clears throat> ruler of Galilee, um, calls him a fox, um, saying he's a, he's a cunning, sly and worthless individual. He's got no real authority, no real majesty. Uh, in Luke 23, um, Jesus was on trial before Herod and Herod asked Jesus questions and Jesus just was silent, said nothing. And I've got to tell you, when the Lord Jesus has nothing to say to a particular man, uh, that man's situation is hopeless, truly hopeless. And if Herod wants him out of Galilee and if the Pharisees want him in Jerusalem, well, guess what? That's fine with Jesus because it's actually God's plan. It's not their plan, it's God's plan and it's going to happen anyway. It's exactly what Jesus is doing because in words of devastating judgment, in verse 33, Jesus says, Surely no prophet can die outside of Jerusalem. Now, religious non-Christians, and I'm talking about the church-going type of religious non-Christian, they, they can sometimes... I know some good stories of them, people becoming Christians after going to church for 30, 40, 50 years of their lives. That's wonderful when that happens. I remember a man who'd been going to church all his life and I was explaining the gospel to him and he said to me, are you saying that I can actually get into heaven because of what Jesus has done for me? I said, yeah. He says, oh, I like that. I like that. He'd been going to church all his life. No one ever, he'd never actually heard that message. But for many people, they, they can actually, religious non-Christians can be the hardest people to reach with the gospel because they've, they've placed their trust in their own, in their own um, righteousness, their own religious observances and their perception of their own morality, that they are better than others who don't go to church. But the gospel, uh, 
the, the power of the gospel and the intent of the gospel is to strip away our pride, to expose our sin, and to tell us that we, we need a saviour, that we, that we need, need someone to actually pay the penalty for us. And that deeply offends the pride of the self-righteous religious non-Christian. And that's why they get angry about it. Jerusalem, with its temple, was the symbol of God's presence amongst his people and the symbol of God's mercy in so much that he accepted sacrifices for sins. And yet, throughout the Old Testament, the streets of Jerusalem, indeed the very courtyard of God's temple, was stained with the blood of the prophets. Because when God's prophets confront self-righteous sinners in Jerusalem, it leads either to the repentance of the sinner or the death of the prophet. And so many times it resulted in the death of the prophet. As it would here, Jesus laments in verse 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jerusalem was certainly filled with the physical descendants of Abraham, but it was certainly not filled with the faith of Abraham. A desolate house, says Jesus. God forsaken. And the next time they, or anyone, will see Jesus is when he comes again. On that day when we are all raised when everyone will acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and Saviour. Some with gladness, others with very, very deep regret. Because for those who have rejected him now, it will be too late. There is no second chance. Like those standing outside the door knocking and pleading they will hear the devastating words, I don't know you, away from me. Now there's a wonderful picture of God's kindness in Psalm 57. And it's very, um, it's very feminine in, in a sense. And it goes like this, um, Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. A feminine image, I say, because it's a picture of a, of a mother bird um, sheltering her offspring under the covering of her strong wings. Like Jesus, who on a hill outside of Jerusalem absorbed God's judgment for sin for everyone, for Jews 
for Greeks, for Romans, for Australians, for anyone and everyone who with the faith of Abraham seeks refuge in him under his protective wing. Lord, said the questioner, are only a few people going to be saved? Jesus' message to that person then and Jesus' message to you today is don't worry about the number. Just make sure that you're on the inside. Be truly connected to God. Put your trust in Jesus now. Not later, but now. Make every effort to put your trust in Jesus now before the door is closed. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your kindness and mercy that uh, the day of salvation is with us. Father, we thank you that in the gospel that those promises are still open. We pray for each one of us, no matter who we are, no matter our background, that we would be people who personally put our trust in you, put our trust in Jesus and in what he has done for us on the cross. May we not trust in our religious background or our family background or who we know, but trust only in Christ Jesus. And Father, we thank you that whilst that uh, door is still open, that there is opportunity for others too to find their way onto the inside. We ask that as ambassadors for Christ that you would give us opportunities, open up doors for us to actually explain and share the gospel with many people before it's too late. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.